Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. It's a new age. It's a huge new development. Again, it's not rocket science. Back to more of The Other Side of the Glass. On Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Final hour of the program here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Chris Thomas with you until the top of the hour. Mike Conti and Jason Longshore come your way then with Atlanta United pregame. Kick is at 8.30 from Dallas. We've talked a ton of football today and will continue to do so. Dogs in action right now. Still up 7-0 almost midway through the second quarter. Uh, defense obviously doing their part, but a little interesting to see that the dogs have only scored seven points. But right now we got to talk some baseball. Big series going on all weekend. Braves and Dodgers. Braves took the first two in this one. Let's head out to the WadeFord.com hotline. Welcome in our buddy Michael Duarte from NBC LA. Michael, how are you? Chris, I'm great. Uh, watching college football just like you. Watch the Coach Prime upset over TCU and excited to go see uh, – the Braves and Dodgers uh, meet for the trilogy of this series tonight. And then uh, something that Atlanta United's already done. And that's got to see Messi live and in person uh, doing that tomorrow on Sunday. So I'm excited for all the sports this weekend. Yeah, the Messi thing is just on a whole nother level. We could spend a whole show talking about that one. But we got Braves and Dodgers to talk about right now. Before we dive deep into that, though, I do want to get your take since you're out there in L.A., what the heck was going on with this whole Kelly Stafford, Matt Stafford? He doesn't relate to the players. He's having trouble being the leader of that team. What did you make of that whole thing being on the ground there? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I think since the Staffords arrived in Los Angeles, Kelly Stafford has created uh, more controversy and turmoil uh, than anybody else in this Rams organization or team. Uh, so Kelly Stafford has a podcast. I don't know if some of your listeners know that. That's Matthew Stafford's wife. She's a two-time now cancer survivor, by the way. Uh, and um, I think she was trying to – I listened to the whole segment that, that she was talking about this. I think she was trying to make a joke that her husband's old and just been playing a long time. Uh, and she used the fact that he tells her that the younger rookies and the, and the Rams have a lot of rookies – on this roster, uh, all of their draft picks from last this most recent draft, the 2023 draft in May, made the roster. A lot of undrafted uh, free agents also who were in camp. A lot of them got cut, but they made the roster as well. Uh, just young guys, and Matthew Stafford was saying, these guys, when practice ends or you know a video session ends or a team meeting ends, they just go straight to their phones and they're on social media and they're they're doing their thing. Uh, whereas in the past, you know, he'd have an opportunity in that window of time 
to go talk to these guys and, you know, establish a personal relationship and get to know them uh, and become a leader that way. And he was just explaining to her that it's difficult to do that now when these guys straight go straight to their phones and social media. Uh, and so that's what she said. And obviously it created some stir because it, it caught traction. That quote went around and it basically kind of made it seem like he can't connect to these players and, and, uh, he has no relationship with them, and he's not a very good leader. But that's not necessarily the case. We asked Sean McVay about it this week. We asked Les Snead. They don't seem to be worried about those comments. And then Kelly Stafford herself apologized for making the comment. So I think it's one of those things where she was trying to make a joke at the old guy's account, uh, and it didn't uh, pan out the way she thought it would or how she wanted. The media taking something and running with it? No, Michael, you've <laughs> got to be kidding me on that one. All right. With the Braves and the Dodgers, before we get into the actual games, how did the Dodgers get to this point where they were at the beginning of the series? Because I know the season didn't necessarily start very Dodger-like. Yeah, so, you, you know, this is very interesting. Before the season started, I think almost everybody thought the Atlanta Braves would be here. I think most people expected the Atlanta Braves to be, if not the best team in the National League, one of the, the top two or three best teams in the National League. Uh, and, and they're playing up to expectations and, and arguably a little bit better than expectations. They're on a record-breaking pace for home runs. Obviously, we see what Ronald Acuna Jr. is doing. The Dodgers, on the other hand, you know, the expectations were a lot different. This was a team that lost a lot of guys in the offseason. We're talking guys like Cody Bellinger, uh, pitchers like Tyler Anderson. Uh, so a lot of guys left this team. Trey Turner, an all-star shortstop, moved on to Philadelphia. Uh, and they didn't go out there and sign the big prime superstar free agent name that they've done in the past uh prior to that season it was freddie freeman a guy you guys know well a former mvp prior to that it was the cy young award winner and trevor bauer we all know how that went but uh and then the prior to that it was a trade for mookie betts in the off season so it was like each and every year going into it the dodgers fans here in los angeles were accustomed to this team adding a superstar and suddenly they saw a couple superstars leave this roster from the 111-win team they, that, from last season, and they didn't fill them with those big superstar names. They filled them with guys like uh, David Peralta, Jason Hayward, whose career most people thought was over, uh, and another guy in, in J.D. Martinez, who's resurrected his career, was an all-star this year. So uh, Miguel Rojas at shortstop, you know, another example. So that's how they kind of filled it, and they filled it also with rookies from within. James Altman, uh, probably in the Rookie of the Year conversation this year. So the expectations were pretty low. I think it took a while for this team to gel. Obviously, injuries destroyed this team. This team is the most injured team as far as different players uh, that have been injured this year. It's the, the most in MLB, followed by the Angels. But you saw what's happened to the Angels when those injuries have hit them. They're not even in playoff contention at all. The Dodgers seemingly were able to keep the boat afloat, keep their head above water, uh, acquire a guy like Lance Lynn at the deadline, get Clayton Kershaw back, you know, and be able to withhold uh, the water that was coming in from this. And so now this team is vibing and gelling from, from inside this locker room, talking to guys inside the clubhouse. These guys tell me this is the closest knit group they've had. They have a lot of team meetings and dinners. And, and one thing I can tell you, Chris, is that uh, right before that series, right after the All-Star break, they, they started off in Baltimore, and then they traveled to, to Dallas, Texas to play the Rangers. They had an off day before that series. Max Muncy, who has a house there uh, in the Arlington area, hosted the entire team for his daughter's second birthday party. It was at that party that these players told me they really came together on a personal friendship level. They really bonded and gelled. Uh, that is also the genesis of the Freddie dance that has kind of 
taken over this team and also taken over Los Angeles. There's now a segment in between innings at Dodger Stadium where there's a song called Do the Freddy and the whole stadium does the Freddie Freeman dance. So that all started from that birthday party. And I can tell you from that moment on, this team's been on fire. They've been the best team in baseball. And just looking at the numbers with the Braves, we're talking batting average. We're talking hits, RBIs, slug. Uh, the Dodgers, as far as offensively, Braves and Dodgers are one, two in every category. So these, by far and beyond, are the two best teams in baseball meeting here this weekend. Yeah, that's a feel-good story. Unfortunately, Michael, it hasn't resulted in wins on the field against the Braves in the first two games of the series. So what have you seen so far that has allowed uh, the Braves to get the edge? And that's where the next part we're going to get into, and that is the offensive stats, they're one, two in the league. But when you go to the pitching stats, it's a little bit different. The Braves are top three in in most major pitching categories. ERA, for example, um, whip, they're up there in the top three. The Dodgers are also high up there. But ERA, looking at a big one, the Braves have the third best ERA for their pitching staff in all of baseball. The Dodgers are 17th. And that's really where, to me, where these two teams, if they were to meet in a potential NLCS best of seven matchup, where the separation begins. And to me, that's starting pitcher. Spencer Strider, you can make an argument, is a Cy Young Award candidate in the National League this year. Uh, That fastball was absolutely filthy uh, in the first game of this series, even though obviously the Dodgers, you know, came back a little bit and put some runs on him. Now you have another former guy who's a Game 6 World Series winner in Max Fried, who's basically been on the shelf all season and is getting healthy at the right time I talked to him last night Chris and he told me I don't have the innings at this time in the season entering September like on my arm that I've had in previous years he feels fresh he feels healthy obviously he needed to get a few starts under his belt to kind of get the rust off but what Dave Roberts and some of the Dodgers players told me last night is he looks like a Cy Young award winner his stuff was absolutely filthy last night and I think he's peaking at the right time and that's huge for the Braves so right there those two pitchers, I give those the nod over any Dodgers starter right now. Uh, and then we'll see. We'll see with Elder and Charlie Morton here in the next two games of this series. Um, going up against a rookie and Emmett Sheehan today, but then we're going to see another rookie, Bobby Miller. So we'll see how these rookies for the Dodgers can perform on a big stage against a big team. But we don't get to see Kershaw pitch in this series. To me, that's been the Dodgers' number one on the staff all season long. Um, when it lines up, we'll see. But the, the Dodgers might have an ace in the hole, just like the Braves had with Max Fried getting healthy and Walker Bueller, who's set to make a rehab start mm. at AAA Oklahoma City. He's expected to go two innings. That's on Sunday. If he can get built up to about five innings right before the end of the month as we head into October, if he can give them anything in the postseason, that's a guy that in previous matchups against the Braves and in the playoffs has been the Dodgers' number one guy uh, to start game one. If he can give them anything in the postseason, that's an ace that the Dodgers could have up their sleeve that could potentially kind of equal the starting pitching uh, disparity that that I think is the big difference between the Braves and Dodgers right now. Talking all things Braves, Dodgers, L.A. sports with our buddy Michael Duarte from NBC L.A. Check out his work there right here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. You know, that's funny because as these two teams – continue to mirror each other. We have a guy here in Kyle Wright who's doing the exact same thing. A guy who won 20-plus games last year is making his way back in a rehab start. He had his first one this week. So much like the Dodgers, the Braves continue to chug along and turn out guys that could have a high impact come postseason time. Now, talking off the field a little bit, Michael, the MVP race has been a hot topic here in the A because we all feel our guy in Acuna has this thing locked up, but I know there's a lot of people out there that say not so fast, my friend. Mookie Betts is right there. 
Yeah, I would say as of July 31st, I think everybody in baseball thought Ronald Acuna Jr. had the MVP race all locked up, as you just said, including uh, the Las Vegas oddsmakers. And then all of a sudden, Mookie Betts went out and had the hottest August that we may have ever seen. We're talking in the record books with names like Joe DiMaggio, Babe Ruth, Mickey Mantle. Uh, 51 hits, 11 home runs, batting 455 in the month of August. And suddenly, you know, that MVP race that we thought was all but wrapped up, Mookie Betts said not so fast. Uh, and so all of a sudden now these guys are neck and neck. They, have, they both have two home runs already hit this series. Mookie obviously two in one game in game one. Acuna with the grand slam in game one and another homer last night. So to me, these guys are now neck and neck. I get the odds every day coming from Vegas, different sports books. They're flipping faster than a, than a pancake race right now. Uh, you have Ronald Acuna leading it as of a couple of days ago, then Mookie took over, then Acuna took over. So for me and for baseball fans, watching this MVP race is probably a two-man race now. But the ironic thing, Chris, is when was the last time we saw the top four finalists for an MVP come from just two teams and right. play each other here this late in the season? Because, you know, Ronald Acuna Jr. is batting 338 right now. So is Freddie Freeman, uh, who's probably going to break the Dodgers franchise record for doubles, and he has a shot at breaking the all-time MLB record for doubles in a season. That could be a historic feat. Matt Olson's on pace to hit 50-plus homers uh, and may- maybe go like 130 RBIs. So all four of these guys, you can make a case uh, for MVP. But to me, it's going to be Ronald Acuna Jr. and Mookie Betts in this final month of the season over the last 20-something games or so. Uh, to see who's going to pull away because right now, to me, they're neck and neck. I kind of give the odd a little bit to Acuna right now, but if Mookie can have another hot month like he had in August, look out. All right, last one for me, Michael. I think regardless of what happens for the rest of this series, these are clearly the two best teams in the National League, and a postseason meeting is inevitable. Do you agree? I would ordinarily – I agree with you that they are 100% the two best teams in baseball. Um, the, the odds makers for the World Series say that as well. It's Braves 1, Dodgers 2. They're not even looking at an American League team when it comes to that. People have told me, you know, right now, you know, they play seven games over the course of the season. So, in a way, I think the Braves are up now 3-2 in the series with two games left. So, it's kind of like a mini World Series, seven-game series here in the regular season. Um, I, ordinarily, I would agree with you, except for the fact that anything can happen in a five-game series in the playoffs, as we saw with both of these teams last year. I think we thought the Dodgers were the best team in the National League, and the Braves were probably the second-best team in the National League last season. So, it, you know, if the season ended today, I believe Atlanta would play Philadelphia in a five-game uh, first-round NLDS series. And to me, that's dangerous. Uh, Philadelphia has been one of the hotter teams in baseball over the last month or so. They're finally hitting their stride and, and hitting their home run power at the right time. Trey Turner has been on a tear. That's a team that's in the NL East. They know each other very well. So, you know, that could be a dangerous series for the Braves when it's only best of five. And it can be the same thing for the Dodgers, like we saw when they ran into the Padres last year. Uh, so you never know, especially if you run into a very, very hot starting pitcher. If it was a seven-game series in the first round in the NLDS, I'd agree with you, Chris. I would say – the better team usually wins in those series and depth prevails and the Braves and Dodgers have tremendous depth. So I don't know, but if they can get past the NLDS, yeah, these two teams are on a collision course in the NLCS and that's going to be must see TV. All right, Michael, appreciate the time as always. Check them out. NBC LA covering all things LA sports. We'll have you on again soon, my friend. 
All right. Enjoy this holiday weekend and all the good sports. Thanks all for right. having me on, Chris. Our buddy Michael J. Duarte from NBC LA there talking all things LA sports. Man, the dogs are still only up 7 nothing with five minutes to go before half. Um, I can't watch the game live right here on the TVs because you can't get streaming on these TVs here in the studio. So I'm following along on the ESPN game tracker. What are we doing? Why are we messing around with UT Martin? The dogs with some interesting offensive choices, a lot of bland running plays and not a lot of creativity on offense to start this game. We'll see. I'm sure it'll still end up being right where it needs to be in terms of the score, but very peculiar start to the dogs as they're up 7-0 with five minutes left in the half. All right, when we get back, I want you to hear some things that Chris Lindstrom and Arthur Smith had to say because I think in their availability this week, they did a great job of setting the tone for week one. We'll let you hear that and more. Don't go anywhere. Sports Radio, 929 The Game, Odyssey app. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. You know what I love about this show? Please say it. This is not a joke. No. Back with more of The Other Side of the Glass. All right, I get it. On Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. All right. We can all take a little bit of a collective sigh of relief. Georgia has scored again. It is now 14-0 with about three minutes left in the half. Carson Beck keeps it for about four yards and runs it in, so rushing touchdowns for Beck and Bowers if you're keeping score at home. Not going to lie, still a little perplexing that <laughs> this is the way that the Georgia Bulldogs have come out to start the season. Um, a little bit sluggish, a little bit vanilla, just a little bit, just there's something, no punch. Uh, you know, I was expecting them to come out and just, you know, start slinging it all over the field and showcasing all the weapons that they have yeah. and that just hasn't been the case through the first half. It's a little weird. Your your prediction of the the Bulldogs missing the playoffs being more likely than the Hawks getting that top six seed sounds a little bit better now. Is what well, you're saying? Well, let's not. <laughs> they're not going to lose the game by any stretch of the imagination. But I think Kirby's going to have some bulletin board fodder for week number two. Most if this is the way that they're going to come out for the first half and really not make any sort of a profound statement the reason this is so magnified obviously is because they're trying to do something that's essentially never been done before I mean 1930 was 
literally 100 years ago, and it was a different game ago. It is not the same game that is being played in 2023. So when you look at this team and the expectations for what they're trying to do, instead of saying, okay, cool, Georgia's up 14-0 at the half against the bad team, we have to say, why aren't they up by more? Because that's the expectation level that's been levied as you try to win your third consecutive national championship. So we'll see what the Bulldogs do. I think everything's fine. This is not alarmist panic button talk. It's just a little, hmm, hmm, hmm. Going to keep my eye on this one. As Going to keep a very close eye on the rest of this game. Where You know what? I'm not going to lie. I wasn't really planning on keeping much of a close eye on this game as my night progressed and we get into the rest of the college football slate and the baseball and Atlanta United as well, which pregame is coming up at the top of the hour right here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. But for now, Georgia 14, UT Martin nothing as we stroll on into the half. All right, let's switch gears and talk about the Falcons because I think this game, as Carl Dukes has been saying all week long right here on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game, we got to beat them. We can't lose. We cannot lose this game to the Carolina Panthers. And the guys, in my opinion, did a really good job this week coming out when they spoke to the media and talked about how they're ready to go and not looking at the outside noise. Chris Lindstrom was talking about focusing for Carolina as soon as camp was over. No time to waste. Uh, right after the preseason, um, you know, you obviously you practice game planning and then, you know, trying to go. But now it's, you know, kind of all starting to focus there. Um, and it's just taking the reps, the small details to kind of focus there. But you kind of, you're lucky this week one, it's almost like a bye week leading into the season. Perfect. That's exactly what I want to hear. Uh, not that Chris Lindstrom would ever come out and give you any sort of hot take. I obviously know from listening to him and you guys know too that he is not that type of guy. He's a hard hat guy. Put his head down and do the work. But he is one of the best players on this team, so we're going to ask for his opinion. He's also one of the most well-paid people on this team. He also was talking about the belief in the team and how it feels different this year, and I couldn't agree more. Um, I think just belief in each other, belief in, in what we got, and belief in the ethos that Coach talks about all the time. Um, I think that's team-wide, and the competition that we have out here every single day is uh, amazing. And then to be able to have these opportunities, you you know, you the one, the one thing is, you know, you know how valuable it is to win. You know how valuable each game is, especially down the stretch. So it's just uh, really focusing in on week one. How about the big galoot there? The offensive lineman using a word like ethos. That's a nice little $2 word there. Good job out of Chris Lindstrom. And he's right. He's also using it correctly. And he's right. The ethos of this team has run through Arthur Smith. And he has put together a game plan and a design I said it a million times during training camp because it was my first time out there. I was so impressed with the facility, with the staff, with everyone involved. There is a collective push towards this organization for greatness, and everybody there is buying in. So I totally agree with what Lindstrom is saying there. He also went on to talk about the belief in his room, which is the offensive line, which is going to be, in my opinion, the most important unit for this team's success. Obviously, quarterback is its own separate thing. But for this offense to function the way that it needs to, the offensive line needs to be at least as good, if not better, than they were last year. I think you're just appreciative for for your room, right? And just like the guys, even the guys who left, that you're just like, you know, you love everybody. And we've been able to spend uh, all of OTAs together three months. And then now, you know, a month, six weeks of training camp. Um, but you're just appreciative for the, everybody that's here. 
Um, and like I said, there's a phenomenal group of guys, and I know I keep saying that, but it's like there's real belief in that, and that uh, it's pretty special. So we broke this down on Dukes and Bell yesterday. For me, there's two locks, and that's Lindstrom and that is Jake Matthews. Those are the guys that you have no questions about. They're going to come out there every week, do their job, and be really good players. There's, I would say, two question marks, and that is Drew Dahlman at center, his second year getting to be the starter. Is he going to fix some of the snap issues that he had with Marcus Mariota? And he was he was a good center. He wasn't great. Um, I think everyone could be better at pass protecting on this offensive line, including him. So we'll see what happens there. And the wild card for me is Caleb McGarry at right tackle. He got some money, not as much as he probably wanted, but is he going to put in the improvements to garner what he thought he should have gotten on the open market? And most of that has to do with pass protection. He's a really, really good run blocker. He's not a great pass protector. And that's just who he is, and that's who he's been for his entire career. We'll see if he could take a step up in that direction. And, you know, having guys like Lindstrom and Jake Matthews to help on the offensive line is going to be key. Is going to be key. Bergeron as well. He's, an, he's not a wild card for me. He's just a question mark because he's never done it before. He looks the part. He acts the part. He had a good camp. We got to talk to him during camp. He seems like exactly the right type of guy you want as a member of your offensive line. But he's a rookie, and he most likely is going to be thrust right into the fire. He's going to be a guy that's going to have to prove himself right out of the gate and say, you know, I'm a member of an offensive line unit that's expected to have one of the most productive backfields in the league. So we'll see. So there's question marks there. All right, one more from Chris. How the veterans have helped this team. Arthur Smith and Terry Fontenot added a bunch of vets who are hopefully going to make an impact. I mean, it's awesome. I mean, there's so many awesome and great role models and leaders and um Really great veterans in every position group. There's so many guys that you can learn from. And, like, for me, just guys even defensively who have come in from different places, you know, David and Jesse, just those guys are, you know, are really amazing. And um, to, to speak with them and, you know, Calais has got probably more knowledge than anybody. So to hear and talk to him and, you know, even small things from his routine down to, you know, how he approaches practice is, is just such a value. So this next quote I want to play from Arthur Smith for me is the money quote. Because this is the question that has been tossed around since the preseason started and especially since it ended. And I joked around with Joe Patrick at the end of our interview. You know, we got to see Ritter for that one series, you know, that one time at band camp, you know, that one time that we got to see Ritter take the field. I know it was a long series and it took a lot of time off the clock. And Bottom line is a lot of people are saying that we should have seen him a little bit more. And I tend to agree. I don't think there would have been any harm in having him go out there for one or two more series, maybe score a touchdown or two, and just have as much confidence as we can going into week one. Right now, he looked good on the drive. It ended in a stupid interception that shouldn't have happened. But regardless, we still have some question marks. Here's Arthur Smith addressing that. Look, every year you're going to do what you think is best for your team at that moment. You know, if we would have changed my decision, if I thought we would have had more guys in our too deep that were healthier going into Thursday night, yeah, I maybe would have changed our thought. And if I was really concerned about Dez, then he would have been out there. Um, there's no perfect answer. You look at all the studies year in and year out. We needed to get live reps, joint practice. That's another subjective debate, but we felt pretty good there. 
I guess. I mean, maybe, kind of. I don't know. I just, I kind of have a lackluster feeling about the way that the offense wrapped up the preseason just because I don't think we got to see anywhere near the potential of it that it could have been. We saw one big run from Bijan. We saw one good catch from Drake. We saw one good catch from Kyle Pitts. That's great. And those are the flashes, and those are the players that need to be flashing. But it just was not anywhere near of a big or representative sample size for what the offense could be this season. So I think to have questions going into week one is totally fair, and those questions could be quickly answered, or this thing could drag out for a couple of weeks, depending on how the offense performs. Now, what about who made and who didn't make the roster? Arthur Smith was talking about having to make some tough cuts and doing what's best to get to 53. Well, with all the movies made, D-Live, we got to do what's best for the team. I mean, you certainly give everybody opportunities, and it doesn't mean the guys can't go other other places and, and, you know, have great careers, but we got to do what's best for this team, and that's that's what guides us, and, and you try to be fair and objective. I love, love when Coach addresses the reporter by their name because what I I don't know about you guys listening out there what I've garnered is when coach thinks a question is maybe a little not it's not bad or stupid just maybe a little like presumptive in the way that it's asked and it sort of leads to a specific answer that is either boxed in or doesn't have the ability to be expanded upon in the way that coach would like the question to be phrased he uses their name and I absolutely love that. So if you'll hear, you know, D-Led or Michael or, you know, some of the other guys that cover the team, Josh from The Athletic, if he thinks the if he thinks the question is just a little bit off-center, I've heard and I've seen at least that he tends to use the reporter's name when answering the question. I just, I just find that funny. All right, a couple more, Dom. Let's hear from uh, Arthur Smith about Cordero Patterson because there's a lot of question marks about – if he's going to be ready, exactly what he's been dealing with this offseason, it never really came to light, like specifically where he's at and a timetable for when he'd be back. It's all kind of been shrouded a little bit. So this is coach with whatever the latest is going to be. We'll see. You know, I wouldn't anticipate Cordero being out here the next couple of days, but he's making good progress as well. And what ultimately wound up happening? I mean, nah. I don't think we saw enough of him again to be able to say yes for without any uncertainty at all that he's going to be rip-roaring and ready to go like normal CP. They haven't put him on IR, as Joe Patrick alluded to earlier, which is a good sign because that would mean we'd lose him for four games. But at the same time, we haven't gotten very many positive updates. They've all been sort of short and cryptic like the one that Coach gave there. All right. Good stuff from Coach. Good stuff from Chris Lindstrom. When we get back, let's end this show where we started it because I want to ask Dom the question that I asked you guys on the phone lines at 404-726-0929. What is more likely to happen? UGA gets the three-peat or the Falcons win a playoff game? We'll go back and forth on that as we wrap up this show here, leading it right into Atlanta United coverage. And the dogs. Did they score again or is it still 14 nothing? I'll give you an update because there is one when we get back on Sports Radio 92 on the game, Odyssey app. to Chris with more of the other side of the glass with Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. You have an update. It is a positive thing. 
not incredibly positive, but it is positive. UGA now leads UT Martin and Skyhawks 17-0 at halftime. Okay. Again, I'm going to try to reserve as much judgment as I can. Uh, quick rundown of the stats for you. By the way, it is the last chance for romance here on the other side of the glass. Chris Thomas with you for a few more minutes until Mike Conti and Jason Longshore come your way at 8 o'clock for an 8.30 kick. Atlanta in Dallas, an important match there as they try to hang on to a playoff spot. All right, Carson Beck, 14 of 21 for 134 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. He did run one in, so that's fine. Kendall Milton's gotten the bulk of the work, rushing the ball, nine carries for 53 yards. Here's the interesting thing. Now, like I said, I don't have the game on, and I couldn't have it on with the sound anyway because it's on streaming only on ESPN+. So I've been following on the ESPN uh, stat ticker. And Dejon Edwards does not have a carry or a reception in this game. And I'm wondering why. He was cleared for the game. He was not on the injury report. Um, and he's clearly their second or, you could argue, their number one back. And he does not have a carry. Roderick Robinson has five. Carson Beck has three. Brock Bowers had one for a touchdown. But no Dejon Edwards. So I'm going to have to do some research on that one after the game is over to see if he got banged up in warm-ups or if they're just holding him out as a precaution. But as far as I knew, he was available for this game, and he just has not gotten the rock. And then receiving, it's been the Brock Bowers show, five receptions for 77 yards, and that is to be expected. But a very slow start. They did score a couple of touchdowns, tacked down a field goal to end the half. So, I mean, everything's fine, but I, I, and I know a lot of you out there as well, were expecting, you know, maybe like the Oklahoma game where it was 45 nothing at the half earlier today. But we'll see. Got another half to go. Plenty of time to score plenty more points. Now, Dom, you were not here at the start of the show today. We had a very spirited discussion, myself, Eric Slaughter, and the callers and the texters. Because I had a question. I'm thinking about the big picture. and I'm thinking about what could be the ultimate prize at the end of the rainbow for the football teams in the Metro part of Atlanta. And that, of course, is the Bulldogs out in Athens and then the Atlanta Falcons right here. What is their ceiling? Obviously, the Dogs are trying to go for a three-peat. Atlanta is trying to win their division for the first time in Bueller. Bueller. Uh, we won't talk about it. Um, so that led me to thinking. And the conclusion I came up with and the question I came up with is the following. What is more likely to happen? UGA gets a three-peat or the Atlanta Falcons win a playoff game? And we went round and round and round. My conclusion was that it's the Falcons because the Falcons' division is bad. There's no mistaking that the NFC South is arguably the worst division in football. I think some would say the AFC South is in contention for that as well, with Indianapolis being the dumpster fire that it is, and you got Houston, and you know the only real team that's going to make any noise is the Jacksonville Jaguars, and they're good, but I don't think they're a Super Bowl contender. And my main takeaway is I'm not buying the Saints. I, I know that every single national blog, whether it's ESPN, CBS, NBC, podcasts, radio, you know, TV. It is a, it is in everyone's opinion that is a foregone conclusion that the Saints are winning 11 games and easily winning the NFC South. 
I have not seen one person pick the Falcons to win the NFC South. Not one from the national media. I'm not talking about our guys here. I'm talking about the national scene. Right. And I don't get it. I don't understand the hype. I don't understand the love. There, I think what people are basically saying is that it's a by default sort of a thing. And that is totally sleeping on everything that the Falcons have done this year. I think you could argue that if you're the Carolina Panthers or the Bucs. Yeah, I mean, you're looking up at the Saints. The Bucs are in a complete rebuild. They just lost their all-pro center for the season. Baker Mayfield is their starting quarterback. And the Carolina Panthers have a pretty bad offensive line, and they're starting a rookie who's five foot eight, 145 pounds. I mean, there's a lot to be desired there. And they don't exactly have Randy Moss at wide receiver either. And Christian McCaffrey's not there anymore. Defense is good. Don't get me wrong. They have a couple of guys that have given the Falcons fits over the last couple of seasons. But in terms of the offense, I got to see it to believe it. And then there's us, who in every sense of the word upgraded the entire team. Offense is going to be a lot better. Defense is going to be, in my opinion, astronomically better. So the Falcons to win the division, I don't think is a difficult task. And neither is winning a playoff game. Look, My example, look what the Giants did last year with the Vikings. Vikings were 13-3. and three. The Giants, I think, won nine games last season, and they beat the Vikings straight up in a playoff game. Could the Falcons do that this season? Absolutely. So you look at Georgia, and you look at the SEC, and then you look at the teams that are going to potentially be in a playoff, and I think their road is a lot more difficult to hoe. It just is. I mean, you have the SEC where LSU, in my opinion, is going to be one of the five best teams in the country. You still have Alabama. I mean, for all that's going to be said and done and written about, and did they get the right starting quarterback, and what about Tyler Buckner, and what about Tommy Reese, and all this, that, and the other, they're still going to win 10, 11 games this year. Like, it's not like they're going to win seven games. And you have other teams in the SEC that are going to be strong as well. So just in their own conference, it's going to be tough to win it this year. And then you have the playoff, and you have who knows? There's going to be. Te- did you see what Oregon did today? There's te- Clemson is going to be back, I think, this year. There's going to be teams that are going to be out there that it's going to be hard for them to just steamroll their way to a third national title. All right, Dom, I laid it all out there for you. What do you think? Um, so I do agree with you that the Falcons are more likely to win a playoff game this year than UGA is to three-peat. Um, I have. Not necessarily been out on the Bulldogs this year, but I just think over the last two years. Well, the first half isn't exactly <laughs> inspiring anybody right. either. But the over the past two years, you've had so much talent transition to the NFL. And it was going to be hard eventually to replace that talent. Um, I think last year, you know, we said the same thing, but the difference was Stetson Bennett was still there. And when you have that consistency at quarterback, it makes a lot like it, it's easy to gloss over some of the other issues when you have that consistency. New quarterback, yeah. a ton of new play. Like you're asking some guys to step into bigger roles. And then also, again, the path of least resistance. The Falcons have an easier path to win a playoff game than UGA does to winning a national championship. Because at some point, you're going to have to play Bama. You're going to have to play LSU. You may have to play – like, you're going to have to play at least one of those teams to win a national title, Ohio State, Michigan, what Clemson. You're going to have to play one of those teams eventually if you want to win a national title. Yeah. The Falcons can kind of waltz their way almost to Into a division. Into the play – right. Yeah. And that's why my question was win a playoff game, not 
obviously the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not impossible. No, not at all. I don't think there's we've. I think everyone's done a pretty good job. I will say, from the media to the fans to you know the listeners of this station and everyone that calls in, I think we're all sort of right around the same page of yeah. what the expectation should be for this season, which is ten, maybe eleven wins. You can win the division with that, certainly. Yep. Look at the number from last year. And then once the playoffs start, it's anybody's ball game. I yeah. mean, if they face, I don't know, the the Lions in the first round. I was gonna say if you get Detroit play- in the right, first round. First round of the like playoffs. Is Detroit that much better than the Falcons? Or I don't, even better. I don't think so. Or even better. Like if you get a situation where like I and I do think winning the division is big because I do think if you're the Falcons and you want to win a playoff game, it needs to be at home. But like, if the Falcons win this division and they get like Seattle, right? Exactly. In the in the wild card, you scared of Geno Smith and the Not Seattle Seahawks coming to your building? No. Not at all. You should win that game, and that was that was a good game last season as well when they played the Seahawks yeah. and they had the noodle arm quitter, as John <laughs> Ricky likes to say. Yeah. I just I'm just concerned that, like you said, when the dogs have to, you know, put up or shut up time, there's not Brock Bowers is there. But there's not a ton of guys that were the key crunch time step-up guys yeah. in the big moments for this team that have been there for the past couple of years. And that's no fault of anyone's other mm-hmm. than those guys are now in the National Football League. Exactly. N'Kobe Dean is in the National Football League. Jordan Davis is in the National Football League. Stetson Bennett is in the NFL. Those guys are there now, and that's and that's going to be the revolving door for the Georgia Bulldogs over the next couple of years. It's gonna, you know, what it's almost going to be like, Dom. It's almost going to be like the NCAA. You're going to have a lot of guys that come in for a year yep. or two, show out, and then mm-hmm. just move on to the next step because yep. they're going to. All the guys are most likely going to have to sit a year as freshmen because there's going to be somebody in front of them. They're going to play for their sophomore and junior year, and then they're going to leave. So it's going to be a lot of in and out and rotating guys like. Do we think Carson Beck is going to be here for three more years? I don't know. I mean, probably not. Not, <laughs> not really. I don't even know how much eligibility he has left at this point. Um, so that that's really going to be the whole thing. And you know, to see the game start the way that it did today, it's kind of like, ooh, maybe this. Yeah. Maybe we're not gonna just you know. There's some chinks in the armor. Yeah, we're not just going to show up, walk out of the bus, and have a 28 point lead to start the game because. If you're not doing that against UT Martin, then, you know, when it comes time to play your SEC schedule, there's a probably a better chance. I'm not saying they're going to lose. I'm just saying that it's not going to be sort of the fun, you know, put your seat back, you know, put your feet up in the air, get your popcorn ready, and just sort of enjoy a pleasant viewing experience. There's probably going to be a game or two where this thing might come down to the wire and it's going to come up to Carson Beck to make a big play and showcase that he was the right call for Kirby Smart and the guy to lead this offense. So that's that's all that's all I'm saying. I'm just I'm just saying that I think for Georgia there's a reason that this hasn't been done in 100 years and there's a reason that it's so difficult to do and a large portion of it has nothing to do with Kirby or his coaching and his staff. It's just about turnover. It's just is the guy that's coming in to replace the guy that was a first round NFL pick going to be the same type of player and is the cohesion on offense and defense going to be the same clearly you've seen that this team got out to a slow start in the first half now they could roll every other team from here on out for the rest of the season 56 to nothing and i wouldn't be surprised but i think we just need to make sure that we all take this one game at a time enjoy the season and just don't expect this year's bulldog team to walk out of the bus and romp everybody 55 to nothing
All right, that'll do it for this edition of The Other Side of the Glass. Coming up next, we got Atlanta United Soccer, a big, big match for our five stripes out in Dallas. Mike Conti and Jason Longshore have the call. We'll see. Can the United, uh, can they keep that stronghold on a playoff spot? This is a big game. you got to come away with at least a point here. We'll see what happens next. Don't go anywhere. Sports Radio, 92.9 The Game, Odyssey app. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.